think I know most people, but um, yeah, for those I don't, my name's Emma. Um, my husband and I and our little baby Harriet joined Mary Creek in the beginning of 2015. Um, we now have eight-year-old Harriet and a George, who's five. Um, yeah, so long-time listener, first-time first time preacher. Thanks very much. <laughs> Um, and when I'm not here, I work for Tear Fund. Um, Tear Fund is one of Mary Creek's mission partners, um, and I've recently stepped into the role of head of advocacy there. And I'm really pleased that as the Mary Creek Church community, we are celebrating this season of creation. I'm really pleased to have the opportunity to speak to you about the topic of climate justice and to consider that in light of what the Bible has to say. Or the other title that I give this is with just a little bit of thanks to Gabrielle Garcia Marquez, love in the time of climate change. In my work at Tear Fund, um, climate change and climate justice occupy a lot of my attention. This is a really important topic for our time. It's a big one. And it's one that people come to with a lot of different perspectives and feelings. So I wanted to start uh, just by giving a bit of context as to what Christians in Australia generally think about this is issue. Um, so you probably would have heard of the National Church Life Survey. Uh, according to that group, the majority of church attenders in Australia agree that climate change is happening. Uh, not all are convinced about the role that humans play, but more than half of us think that humans are causing it. And then in research published by Tear Fund earlier this year, we know that Christians uh, aged 40 years and younger are highly engaged with this issue. More than three in five Christians between the ages of 18 and 40 say they are either very or extremely concerned about climate change. Two-thirds of them want to see local churches taking responsibility for action. Tear Fund's research also showed that there are a range of views about how this issue intersects with our Christian faith and what we understand to be the mission of the church. So some people express concerns about the potential for this issue to divide us or distract us from our core purpose. I don't know how each of you um, relate to some of those perspectives, but what I wanted to do today was to speak a little bit about my own journey of faith and my work in relation to climate change and how I think we can understand this issue in the context of God's good news and how we in turn might respond as an expression of our love for God and for our neighbour. So before I moved to Melbourne, I'm originally from Sydney, um, before I moved to Melbourne in the late 2000s, I was part of a church in an inner city suburb that had a long history of mission and ministry amongst people experiencing poverty and marginalisation. I'd grown up in a very different part of Sydney. It was affluent and comfortable. But here, in this church community, I was confronted with the realities of addiction, homelessness, mental illness, racism and generational trauma. And I was asking the question, what is God's good news in the context of these broken lives? It was an incredibly formative time in my faith, both deeply enriching and deeply challenging. Within that community, the words of the Old Testament law and prophets and the many words of Jesus concerning the poor the way he sought out and spent time with people who were marginalised and rejected by society, all of that took on a meaning that I hadn't to that point ever understood. 
I came to see the centrality of God's love and justice for the poor and broken to the Christian gospel and consequently to the life of Christian discipleship. Those experiences played a big part in leading, to, leading me to my role now with Tear Fund. As many of you would already know, Tear Fund is a Christian development and relief organisation and we support local partners around the world who work in communities to overcome poverty in some of the most challenging and complex environments. While in recent years the broader public conversation about climate change has framed it as a divisive political issue, a social issue, a class issue, my work with Tear Fund has brought me much closer to understanding climate change as an issue that goes to the heart of our Christian faith and to God's love and justice for the poor. I want to tell you about a man whose name is Duli Megwal. Duli lives in a rural village in northwest India and he's someone who is known to Tear Fund through the work of our partner Efficor in that country. Like many families in that area, Dooley's relies on rain-fed agriculture for their livelihood. But over the past 20 years, rainfall has become increasingly sporadic. Land that used to produce enough to feed them for a year now only produces enough for about six months. And this doesn't just make putting food on the table more difficult. It means that people have to migrate for months at a time to find work. So it disrupts the whole household system. Dooley describes how difficult this is. The very old and the very young are left behind without people to properly care for them, sometimes not even knowing if the people who have gone are alive or dead. What Dooley and his family and those in the village around him are experiencing are the impacts of climate change. And this is why Tear Fund has been talking about climate change for many years. The extreme weather, drought and disease associated with climate change make it one of the biggest threats to our global effort to end poverty that we currently face. Current estimates are that climate change could push an additional 132 million people into poverty by the year 2030. And after decades of progress towards ending global hunger, Severe food insecurity is now on the rise. Right now, there are 50 million people on the brink of famine and climate change is one of the big reasons why. So what is God's good news in the context of this brokenness? Well, the good news begins with the story of creation. In the opening passages of Genesis, we see God speaking creation into, creation into existence and he declares it to be good. He creates Adam and Eve in his own image and places them in the garden with the instruction to steward and care for it. And the psalmists knew this. As we read together today, Psalm 24 begins with that declaration of the greatness of God, recognising God's ultimate ownership of the whole earth in all its fullness. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And the reason being that God is creator, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. This psalm is about God's presence coming to dwell with humanity as he did in the garden. 
Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, your ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? He is the one to whom the whole earth and all who live in it belongs. This is not our earth, but God's, a precious gift entrusted to us. And the brothers and sisters with whom we share it, even the very least, they too are the precious possession of God. And so the not-so-good news, we know what happened in the garden, snake, apple, some bad choices. And the relationships between God and humanity, amongst humanity ourselves, and humanity with creation were broken. And as a result, among other things, we haven't been great gardeners of the earth. So climate change, of course, is the phrase we use to describe the changes we've seen in recent decades in the earth's average temperatures and the shifts in weather patterns that are associated with those changes. And these are changes that have been driven by greenhouse gas emissions as a result of human activity. And undoubtedly, there has been a lot of good that has come from the development of the last 50, 100 years. But we now understand it has come at a cost. The natural limits of God's earth have been broken. There isn't a region in the world that isn't already experiencing the impacts of climate change, but it is the poorest who are being hit most severely and are also the least resourced to adapt. The world's poorest 3.5 billion people are responsible for just 10% of carbon emissions. Australians, on the other hand, are amongst the highest per capita uh, greenhouse gas emitters in the world. Those who have contributed least to the problem suffer its most dire consequences, and this is the grave injustice of climate change. So again, we ask the question, what is the good news in the context of this brokenness? Well, the good news is that God is at work, restoring what is broken, and through Jesus, who had his own wrestle in a garden before making the way for the reconciling of God with humanity, humanity with each other, and with the creation. In Christ, in whom, for whom, and through whom all things were made, all things are being reconciled to God. This is good news. And this is where love in the time of climate change begins. But it doesn't end there. Because God invites us to be part of his great work of restoration, responding to Jesus' call to follow him, to obey his commands, to love God and to love our neighbour. Part of loving God means working with him to care for creation, not working against his plan to restore it. And part of loving God means caring deeply about the environment on which they, like us, depend for their very existence. Part of loving God means caring about the injustice of climate change, the downstream consequences of our choices and behaviours on the people who live in the world's poorest communities and the generations who will live on this earth after we're gone. So how do we put this love into practice? How can we be the hands and feet of Christ's love in the time of climate change? Well, I have three ideas. 
The first is we need to talk about climate change in light of the gospel hope that we share. And there are two reasons we need to do this. Firstly, because climate change is not a political issue to which we Christians merely bring a Christian perspective. It's an issue that is deeply connected with the work God is doing in our world and our part in it. It just so happens that the rest of the world is also talking about it. The majority of the Australian community, and especially its younger members, are concerned about this issue and want to see Australia playing its part to address the problem. The Tear Fund research that I quoted earlier asked younger Christians what they wanted the church to be doing. And the strongest theme to come through was talk about it. Teach about climate change and creation care. Make more space for conversation. They wanted to hear a clear position from the church on the issue and they wanted to see the church advocating for climate action in the public sphere. As we integrate creation care and the work of climate justice more fully into our own discipleship, as Beck said earlier, there's a missional opportunity, a unique contribution that we can bring to the wider climate change conversation. And that's the hope that we have in God's vision of a flourishing creation one that encompasses the whole earth and all who live in it. The second reason that we need to talk about climate change is because talking is a critical step towards taking action. Dr Catherine Hayhoe is an atmospheric scientist. She's a climate change expert who's also an evangelical Christian and she happens to be a pastor's wife. And she says that the most important thing we can do about climate change is talk about it in the ways that connect with what we value. Staying silent can add to our inaction and our anxiety, but talking about climate change helps us to confront the fears that we have, to feel less alone in our concerns and in our questions, and to move beyond feeling stuck or helpless, motivating us to act. The fact that as a community we are observing this season of creation that we're addressing this topic today, that we're taking practical steps, the prayer vigil on Tuesday night. This is all a really positive step and contribution that we can take in this, in this direction. The second idea for how we respond is to live as faithful stewards of the creation that God has entrusted to us. In Leviticus 25, we read God's very specific laws and instructions for how his people, the Israelites, were to practice the Sabbath. The Sabbath was not only for people but for the whole creation. I'll read a bit of it. For six years sow your fields and for six years prune your vineyards and gather their crops. But in the seventh year the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. Do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the grapes of your untended vines. The land is to have a year of rest. Now we might contrast this idea of rest for the land with what the Global Footprint Network calls Earth Overshoot Day. And that's the date they calculate each year by which humanity has used all the biological resources that the Earth is able to regenerate during an entire year. And this year, that date was July 28. How can we allow the earth to rest? Peter mentioned I should put this in, so forgive me if it sounds a little demanding. <laughs> you and I are some of the world's wealthiest people. 
it means we have an even greater responsibility to live as faithful stewards because we have more stuff and more capacity. Luke 12, 48. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. And so as a church in the most livable city in one of the world's wealthiest countries, we need to hear what God is demanding of us. And yet as Australians, as we know, we are consuming far more than our fair share of the Earth's natural resources. If the rest of the world lived as we did, we'd need around three planets to sustain us. Now, of course, the action to uh, limit further global warming, to reduce our carbon emissions to zero as fast as possible, we're talking about transformation at scale, and it is beyond what any one of us individually could affect, that's true. But it doesn't mean that individually we can't play a part. As households, as families, as a church community, wherever we are in the context of our workplaces, our schools, our community organisations, we need to look at the source and the quantity of energy and what we're consuming. We need to look at the waste that we produce, where our money is invested, what industries and businesses we're supporting. In each of these spheres of our lives and with the influence that we have, we need to take a radical look at how we are caring for God's earth and all who live in it. This is part of our biblical discipleship. And like all aspects of our discipleship, as we step closer towards deeper worship of God, there is such joy, there is such joy in that. But it can be hard. I know as I've turned my attention to this more, uh, and I do it far from perfectly, towards this more faithful stewardship, that it can be uncomfortable and inconvenient and costly. It slows me down when I don't want to slow down. And sometimes I go without when it would be nice to indulge. It can involve some sacrifice. However, if there's one thing that we should be willing to embrace as Christians, it's the idea that loving God and loving our neighbour will at times involve some sacrifice. Jesus taught us this himself, laying down his life for our sake, doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Jesus, who says, come follow me, live as I have shown you and love one another as I have loved you. And this is idea number three, to come to this issue of climate justice with a posture of compassionate and generous love for our neighbours, both near and far. All that we do to care for the earth, to steward its resources more faithfully, to consume more sustainably, these are not only acts of loving obedience to God, but also acts of love for our neighbours, for people like Dooley, whose story I shared earlier, for our kids, for their kids and for those who follow. In our conversations about climate change, as we do talk about it, we can be compassionate and generous in our approach, regardless of how similarly or differently others think from us. 
and we can bring compassion and generosity to the broader public conversation about climate change as we advocate for systemic change, not only here, but in the role that Australia plays in being a good neighbour in our region and in our world. We can do this by engaging in the public sphere, speaking up to business and political leaders. Right now, Tier Fund is encouraging people to write to their MPs about responding to the current hunger crisis, advocating not only for immediate humanitarian assistance, but also for longer-term investment in global food security and climate resilience in our region. These are the sorts of ways that you can add your voice to this important conversation. You could jump on the Tier Fund website and add your name to the petition around this. If you have a smartphone, it will take you less than five minutes. We've seen some really dramatic change recently in the public sphere around this issue, which is wonderful to celebrate. We've seen that when communities come together and speak up, for what is important to them, that things can really shift. And Christians bring what is at times an unexpected voice to this process. We have the ability to influence in a way um, that perhaps others don't. There's more that needs to be done and I encourage you to think about how you can engage in the conversation in this space. Talking about climate change, living as faithful stewards and responding as generous and compassionate neighbours, these are all important ways that we can join in God's restorative work, be the hands and feet of God's love in the time of climate change. Now I mentioned that this is a topic that Tier Fund has been learning and sharing about for many years and we have a bunch of resources available if it is something you would like to explore further. Um, there was a card with a quick QR code link to the research um, that we did earlier this year. Very, I would love you to check that out and if you have any questions, um, please feel free to get in touch with me by email. I have to run to Fairfield after this. Um, but yeah, I'm on email um, and would love to chat to you further. There's also Bible studies. There's this fantastic video series by Catherine Hayhoe that Joe will um, tell you about at any opportunity. Great, yeah, so people are already jumping into that, which is great. The prayer vigil on Tuesday night, all these things. I know that it can be overwhelming. <laughs> That's the other thing um, that I just want to encourage you with as we, um, as we finish up. It can be overwhelming to the point of thinking, where would I even start? Can I encourage you to remember the reason for the hope that we have, that this is God's good news in the context of our broken world, that this is God's work of restoration through Jesus. We are stepping into God's story as we step into this. And like in this, like all things, it's not our responsibility to solve the problem, but to respond to God's invitation in this moment in the ways that we're able to. I'll just finish um, with the lyrics from one of the songs that we have started singing as a community um, and I'll say them as a prayer for us today. God creating all we see, all that lives beyond our gaze, fill the earth with breath and praise, call us into harmony. 
Teach us how to join with you, ever making all things new.